Good morning, church. There you go. Some of you know that I um, teach psychology at Mid-America Christian University. Uh, One of the things we talk about in Intro to Psychology is that the, uh, the, the human brain is not fully developed until uh, early 20s. Uh, so with that in mind, anything Shaley says, consider her age regarding, <laughs> regarding uh, she wants to be like me, and Tyus. Uh, there is also a delay in the male brain, but it doesn't occur as quickly as females, so discount what Tyus says. And the rest of you are just delusional. If you want to be... Uh, I appreciate the compliments, but that, that they're totally unnecessary. And uh, I really, really wish uh, Scott had not mentioned that I was preaching last week because, look, <clears throat> I, I don't draw the biggest crowds, for sure. Uh, thanks, Tim, for uh, filling in as our worship leader, song leader this morning. Uh, on short notice, this all occurred, what? nine o'clock last night, something like that. Late last night, uh, we had to make a quick change due to some illness. Kyle is not feeling well and hopefully doesn't have COVID. And I want to thank uh, Glenn for, for reading that passage. When you read scripture, or when you hear scripture, What happens in your mind? Do you listen to the words or do you... um, Do you have a movie mind or TV mind? Do do you kind of imagine, okay, I can see this. Do you picture it? Do you you kind of fantasize, I wonder why, I wonder this, wonder all of this. Some of us have a very uh, um, inquisitive mind. Sometimes it gets us in trouble. Sometimes it opens doors for us. Uh, Randy Key is probably one of the most, I got a notice from him. (laughs) He's probably one of the uh, thinkers that I can relate to the most because he always looks, okay, why did this happen? Why did this happen? He's very uh, structured like that. I'm saying that is because Glenn just read a passage to you that you probably have heard numerous times Does that not sound weird to you? Honestly, if if you really, really pay attention to what was going on, there's something that kind of seems strange. Why did they drop what they were doing and follow him? Why did they just drop what they were doing? They were fishing. They were on the job. They were making a living. And they, they dropped their nets. And they followed him. The passage says, As he was going along the Sea of Galilee, Simon and Andrew, the brothers of Simon, casting, excuse me, and he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, I've got to speak to the mic, casting a net at the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. I didn't hear a sales pitch in it. I didn't hear a promise. I didn't 
here, uh, you know, you want to come in for an interview? Uh, it just followed me, and they did. Does that not sound strange to you? So, why? What caused them to follow him? Scott did a series on follow me, and I think there's uh, 13 times in the gospel that phrase is used, follow me. Jesus would say, follow me. And almost every single time, except that there was a couple times when it was a challenge as opposed to an invitation, people dropped what they were doing and followed him. I don't know about you, but I don't just follow strangers. There's got to be a reason for it. So what were the reasons? Think about that for a little bit. Uh, first of all, if you remember several months ago, I, I preached uh, a series on mysteries, secrets and mysteries. Well, this is one of those mysteries. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I can't tell you why they dropped what they did to follow Jesus, not just to check him out, but actually for the disciples, many of them have followed him for three years. For three years. Uh, so what was it? I don't know. I don't know. There are things that come to mind. One of the first things that, well, and, and probably the most obvious, well, he was the son of God. That's true, but they didn't know that. We know that now because we've got the Bible and we're 2,000 years later and we look back at this and, and it's kind of like watching Apollo 13. Uh, it's hard to get too concerned because those of us who lived through it know how it ended. So we have a different perspective, but yes, he was the son of God, but they didn't know that. What was it about him that caused them to follow? Was it, um, was it his appearance? Was he um, somebody that you could look up to, stately? Uh, well, according to the prophecies, according to what Isaiah wrote in Isaiah chapter 53, who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of a parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of songs acquainted with grief, and like one from the men, and like one from whom men hide their face. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. It wasn't a physical appearance. We don't, we don't know what Jesus looked like, uh, but I can tell you as, as a child growing up in the 50s and 60s, Jesus didn't learn how to smile until the 1970s or 80s. That's when the pictures of him finally showed him smiling, which I have a major issue with. But we don't know what he looked like. But it wasn't, it wasn't some John Wayne character that came walking up and everybody said, ooh, let's follow him. It wasn't his appearance. Well, you might say it was the miracles, and Jesus would probably agree with you at least to some degree on that because in John chapter 4, verse 48, after he had dealt with the Samaritan woman who just accepted him at his word, he goes back to his own people in, in Cana and Galilee and points out 
unless you people see signs and miracles, you simply won't believe. They did it for signs. They did it for miracles. Let's go see what Jesus is doing today. This, he's going to be doing something interesting. And then there were also the people who followed for food. Uh, I always like to use the expression, Jesus taught us that if you feed them, they will come. That's a play off of a movie, if you didn't catch that. Uh, but yeah, they followed him for food. Jesus acknowledged that in John chapter 6, verse 26. Some people come just for the food. Some people just come to be nourished. But that still seems to fall short of why anybody would leave their home, would leave their occupation, would leave their family and follow Jesus for three years or follow this, thousands follow this man into the wilderness. Why would you do that? Well, he would feed them, but they didn't know that going out. And they weren't even prepared enough to bring their own sack lunch. There was something about them, about him, that caused people to follow him whenever he offered. Was it his message? Uh, yes, yes and, and no. Yes and no. That, that was kind of a double-edged sword. Uh, his message was different. He spoke as one with authority. Matthew chapter 7 points that out to us. If I get over here to John chapter 6. Many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? And later on, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So it wasn't necessarily his message that drew the people in. In fact, sometimes it was his message that pushed them away. I love Peter's response. Jesus said to the twelve, you don't want to go away also, do you? And Simon Peter answered, said, Lord, to whom, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, you and I might read that and think, okay, so Peter knew that Jesus was the Son of God. That's not what he said. That's not what he said. Uh, it starts out with, well, where else are we going to go? And it's followed up with not you are the son of God, but you are the holy one of God. Interesting terminology because Mark chapter 1, verse 25, those same words were uttered. Let me flip over to that. That's a good one. Thank heavens I learned how to sing the books of the New Testament. Mark 125, 124, excuse me. What do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? For you have come to destroy us. 
I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Exact same word, exact same reference. You are the Holy One of God. And that came from a man who had an unclean spirit, demonic man. So Peter was just saying the same thing uh, a man with an unclean spirit had said. You're, you're from God. I mean, that's obvious. Nobody's going to do miracles. But again, that still doesn't answer the question, why did they drop what they were doing? Why did they go out to the wilderness? Why did they spend years and years following Jesus? What made him so appealing? What made him so attractive? Not physically, but magnetic if you would, magnetic, what drew them to him. In um, this is something I've been messing with for years and years, and I was talking to Walter Castro, uh, minister over at Capitol Hill, and um, he said, irresistible? And I said, yeah, yeah, what made him so irresistible? He said, you need to, you need to uh, get the series Irresistible by Andy Stanley, and uh, so, give you a heads up, at the end of January, 1st of February, we're going to start a series in the adult class of Irresistible. It's a series by Andy Stanley. I like that word, irresistible, irresistible. And for those of y'all of a certain age, and you recognize the title, Simply Irresistible, it triggers thoughts of the song by Robert Palmer from 1988, a long time before you guys were ever born. Simply Irresistible. It's a, it's a, it's a great rock and roll song. It's not anything we're going to be playing in the church building. It's not anything that I would necessarily say, you ought to check that one out. Uh, but for those of us who've been there, it, it's, uh, it's about a man's love for a woman and how it just overpowers it. But when I looked at the lyrics, I thought, yeah, yeah, that describes the relationship with Jesus. So listen to these words, because I've changed them from she to he. I've changed the gender reference on them. But listen to these and see if this maybe kind of relates to a relationship that you have with Jesus. How can it be permissible? He compromises my principles. That kind of love is mythical. He's anything but typical. He's a crazy you'd endorse. He's a powerful force. You're obliged to conform when there's no other course. He used to look good to me. But now I find him simply irresistible. His love is so powerful, it's simply unavoidable. The trend is irreversible. The man is invincible. He's a natural law, and he leaves me in awe. He deserves the applause. I surrender because he used to look good to me. But now I find him simply irresistible. Simply irresistible. Do you find Jesus simply irresistible? That's a simple question. Do you find Jesus simply irresistible, or does he just look good to you? For a lot of the world, he looks good. I, I mean, even, even the Muslim faith, if you weren't aware of this, the Muslim 
the Muslim uh, scriptures have at least 60 references to Jesus Christ. They, they believe in Jesus Christ as a prophet. Not as a son of God, but as, as a prophet. And so they, they respect him. He looks good to them. He looks good to them. But for us, he is more than just looks good. He is simply irresistible. Collins Dictionary describes um, simply irresistible this way. If you describe something such as a desire or a force as irresistible, you mean that it is so powerful that it makes you act in a certain way. And there is nothing you can do to prevent it. Is Jesus simply irresistible? He was to his disciples. I don't know why. Probably for, the, uh, for these four, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, there was probably a little bit of a different thing going on. But for some reason, they all decided, we need, we need to leave here and follow this guy. See what he has to say. They had no clue what they were getting into. And in fact, to be perfectly honest with you, three years later, they still had no clue. It wasn't until the Spirit spoke to them and revealed to them what all was going on, then it finally made sense. But people would follow Jesus. People would follow Jesus. I don't know why you choose to follow Jesus. I don't know if you choose to follow Jesus. But I do know what Jesus said. I do know what Jesus said. In John chapter 12... John chapter 12, there were people who came to his disciples in verse 20. uh, 20. Verse 21, they said, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. They were drawn to him. A lot of people were drawn to Jesus. The Pharisees were drawn to him, not so much uh, because they liked him, but because they thought they needed to discount him, to disprove him. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, for the most part, that's what their job was. That's what they tried to do. Ironically, it was the religious people who were not attracted to Jesus. It was sinners. It was the common man. It was people who, well, to be perfectly honest with you, we don't think as churchgoers. They're not the people who would say, I need to go to church this Sunday. Uh, In in fact, I I heard of a situation a few years ago in which um, the young lady had friends who were living a certain lifestyle, and she invited them to church, to a worship service, and they said, oh no, if I did, I'd burst into flames. Really? Is that the perception that the world has towards the church? That wasn't the perception they had towards Jesus. That wasn't the perception they had towards Jesus. Jesus was the one they wanted to go to. Jesus is the one that they would come 
and cry on his feet in Simon, a Pharisee's house. And she would dry his feet with her hair. Sinful people wanted to come to Jesus. They were drawn to him. Jesus said in verse 23, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world shall keep it to eternal life. And here we go again. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. Once again, follow me. And where I am, there shall my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? It's for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify thy name. There came therefore a voice out of heaven. I have both glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And down in verse 32, Jesus lists his main attractive force. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. If I be lifted up from the earth, we might say crucified, we might say die, if he sacrifices his life, I will draw all men to me. Not just churchgoers, not just uh, the people who are curious. He said, I will draw all men to me. What was it about Jesus that would draw all men to him? It's a mystery. But I could speculate that it has something to do with love. We talked about that in Bible class this morning. We'll come back to that in just a few minutes. Jesus loves us when we do good. Jesus loves us when we come to church. And sorry, people who are viewing live stream, Jesus loves us when we live stream too. So I'm I'm not ruling you out. When we dedicate time of our lives. But you know what? Jesus loves us all the time. In fact, Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. He didn't wait for us to straighten up and come to church and get religion. He loved us all the time. And I think people sense that. Right now we're going to partake of what we call communion, fellowship. And and the significance of what Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. The body and the blood of Jesus Christ was the sacrifice he made not to get us out of hell and condemn the rest of the world, but so that all men could be saved. The offer is to everyone, and we need to remember and recognize that 
Because Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Remember when you were in the second grade and you get your school pictures and they return to you and you take them home to show your parents and you're all happy until your mother looks at it and says, well, you look like a sourpuss. That um, happened to a good close friend of mine, we'll just say. I thought she said a sour pickle, but it was a sour puss. But, uh, yeah. What's your physical appearance? What's your physical appearance? I, I'm not going to get off on, on, on a soapbox. Try not to. But I, I was driving home from church several weeks ago, and I saw a person sitting in a car next to me who obviously, uh, at least from their physical appearance, they had been to a worship service because they were all dressed up on a Sunday morning about that time, and that's usually what you expect. And I looked at them, and they had the most disgruntled look on their face. And I know she hadn't heard one of my sermons, so there was no reason for that. But, but, but my, it hit me, not to judge her, which I probably was, but more so to judge me. Do people ever look at me and say, he looks like a happy dude. I wonder what makes him happy. I, I wonder, or do they look like, oh, I bet he's miserable. What about you? What about you? What made Jesus so irresistible? I think probably it had something to do with the smile, despite what the pictures that I had growing up was. I think Jesus smiled. I don't think children would be eager to come to him to some old grunch, to grinch. They wanted to be around somebody who would laugh and, and love them, somebody who would accept them, somebody who would love them. I think... A smile that you have whenever your child does something wrong and they realize it and they've got that look on their face like, I'm so sorry, and you just kind of smile and say, yeah, you messed up, didn't you? Come here, we'll fix it. I, I, I think maybe that's what was so attractive about Jesus was not so much his message, was not so much who he was because they had no clue, it wasn't so much that he fed them, or it wasn't so much that he performed miracles, but there was something about him that people would just, I can relate to him. I, I can connect with him. And I think he would accept me. And I say accept, not approve. We need to make sure we talked about that in class this morning. We need to make sure we're not approving of sin. But you know what? Sinners need help. And we can either write them out and throw them in the fire, write them off and throw them in the fire, or we can help them. And that's what Jesus did. He said, yeah, you messed up. You're lost. But I'm life. Come to me. Come follow me. And people did. And people did. I think that love that he had shown through him. And yes, I know... 
we're all going to say, but I'm not Christ. But, be careful how loud you say that. Because in John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even at, even." As I have loved you, that you should love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Not for your favorites, but for one another. Uh, interestingly enough, that verse was used in uh, Unity Bible class this morning. Uh, Francis Chan used that. I, I think it was the love of Jesus that shined forth, that just exuded from him, that drew people to him. And he says, I want you to have that same love. I want you to have that same love. In fact, if you follow me, you will have that same love. Um, how many of y'all watched the, the show Mandalorian? Or seen the Mandalorian? Okay. The love of Jesus, pardon me, is the way. This is the way. This is the way. And in fact, six times uh, referenced in the New Testament, this is what the church was called, the way. It wasn't called by a denominational name that was on a building. It wasn't called by a religious group. It was called the way. And you know what way they were talking about? The way of Jesus. If you love people in this way, are people attracted to the church today? Probably, if you've seen statistics, you'd say, eh, not so much. Well, now here's the next question. Are people attracted to you? I can't do an awful lot about the church because that involves a whole lot more people than me. But I can dwell on that are they attracted to me? It's obviously not going to be because of my fantastic message because look at the numbers. It's not going to be because I'm the son of God because obviously I'm not. I'm just a child of God. It's obviously not going to be because of my stature because I'm only five foot eight, technically five, seven and a half, but we round up. It's nothing about me unless the love of Jesus Christ shines through me. And then when it does, it messes with your life. It, it, it affects you in ways that you're not necessarily even aware of. Luke chapter 24, verse 13 through 35, talks about two people who were traveling. After the death of Jesus, they were traveling on the road to Emmaus. And Jesus encounters them, but Jesus, his appearance was disguised it was cloaked from them somehow some way that's another mystery i don't understand uh, but they didn't recognize him but they struck up this conversation which is an interesting thing because they were just chatting and how often do you just chat and get on religious subjects such as the death of jesus christ and then this mysterious man proceeded to preach to them and reveal the word of god to them and then later on, they recognized he was revealed, and they recognized that it was Jesus Christ who they'd been talking to all along, the risen Savior. And there's a phrase in verse uh, 32 
they looked at each other and said, were not our hearts burning when he spoke? What was it about Jesus that when he spoke, their hearts burned? That, that, that oh, I love it. I love to, I love, uh, there were, it wasn't his voice, probably not. However, there are a lot of voices that mean a lot to us. You hear mom or dad talk, something like that. But there was something about it that just burned within them and drew them. There was something in Peter and John in Acts chapter 4 that made them different, made them unique. And it wasn't because they were educated, that they were rabbis or anything like that, because the scriptures in verse uh, 420, uh, Acts 4.20 rules that out. It says, but they recognized them as having been with Jesus. Now again, they didn't carry Jesus cards. Uh, they didn't go in bragging about, about the fact that they had been with Jesus. But they recognized something about them that they had been with Jesus. Do people recognize something about you that you had been with Jesus? Is there something about you that makes you attractive? Is there something about you that, that makes people say, he's, he's a real Christian. He's not one of these religious dudes. He is a real Christian probably has something to do with love. It probably has something to do with compassion. It probably has something to do with how that is conveyed. And the question today is, are we conveying it? Are we conveying it? Are we agreeers with him? Like the song, I used to like it. Yeah, I like Jesus. Or do we find him simply irresistible? irresistible and draws us in, causes us to be like him. That's the invitation today. And speaking of invitation, I want to end with this, and I'm rambling, I'm sorry. Um, when I was a much younger man, probably 45, 50 years ago now, I heard a preacher tell this story that really stuck. There's a man who had been coming to church with his wife for years and years and years. He obviously went to church, but he had never really given his life to Jesus. He had never been baptized. He had never really professed any sort of faith at all, but he was a churchgoer. And one Sunday morning, the preacher got up, preached a lesson, Ended it by saying, if you are not a follower of Christ, you are lost. Please accept this invitation. And this older man, now in his 50s or 60s, got up, walked down front, confessed the name of Jesus Christ, was baptized. And after I, afterwards, his friends were asking him, why today? You know, uh, you've been in church all this time. Why today? I know you've heard other people say you're lost. 
Why did they? And with a tear in his eye, the man looked at him and he said, yeah, I've heard it before, but this time it seemed like it bothered them. It seemed like it bothered him. Not him personally, but it bothered the person saying it. Oh, you're lost. There's a difference between, you're lost. You're lost. It bothered him that he was going to be lost. And he responded, because he heard the love coming from this minister, who at, maybe at that one point in time, even though it was a uh, rote invitation, he could feel the love in it. Do people feel the love in what you say? Do people feel the love even when you say hard things? Do people feel the love? Do people see the love? Do people feel the love? If you feel it from Jesus, it's time to pass it on. The invitation this morning is going to be offered for you to come down front. We're going to have people in the, in the foyer, men and women in the foyer, who will pray with you. If, uh, if that's what you would like, in a little bit more private scenario, you can come down front. Whatever you want. I hope when we offer this invitation, you realize this isn't just something that he's got in his notes. Okay, now I'll offer the invitation. But this is an invitation of, it really matters. It really, really matters. And we really, really care. God cares. We care. Will you come as we stand and sing?